Here's the big question. What if you had to start over from scratch and build a business with limited time and resources? Maybe the economy just pulled the rug out from under you, or you're in a business that's underperforming or a career that's going nowhere. How would you flip the switch to go from where you're at to where you want to go? A profitable business that supports your family and allows you to live the life you were meant to live. My name is Jason Liu, and each week I'm going to bring you guests that are further down the road while documenting my own journey. Welcome to the business of feeling good. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Business of Feeling Good. I am joined by dear friend. We see each other probably at least three times a week on Zoom right now, um, Mr. Corey Camp. And what I love about Corey is he is a walking epitome of, I think, what it means to step into your power and to find yourself in a place of confidence. And just the transformation from the short amount of time that I've known Corey has been incredible to witness. It's inspiring to see. Um, Obviously, he hails from a background in fitness. Um, He's a college athlete as a swimmer, um, University of Delaware, uh, where he spent time, obviously went out there and set some impressive records. And he's gone out there and spent a lot of time in the fitness world um, as a performance coach, working with former athletes, working in gyms, um, working one-on-one with clients. And then he's taken that and kind of merged it with entrepreneurship. And we'll talk about this a little bit, um, really taking it into the realm of coaching, group coaching, and now a podcast as well. So um, I believe it's called the Athletic Mind Mindset Podcast. And he's obviously got a new course that we're going to get into where he's really helping former athletes stay in the best shape, really focused around structure, accountability, and community as well. So Corey Camp, thanks for taking the time, my friend. Jason Liu, thank you for having me on here. Um, I'm humbled. I appreciate your time. You know, it's funny, you mentioned the Zoom I think at this point, it's almost like you should just be the background on my computer because it's literally like four to five times a week. You sold yourself short with three times. But yeah, man, I'm excited to dive into things here and share my story and hopefully impact some other people to, or maybe even inspire them to take some things from my story and start living a little bit better life on their end. No, I'm glad you took the time today. Um, I'm going to, we're going to jump a little bit. So I definitely want to get into story. I want to get into background, but I do have some questions. So I was um, lightly stalking your Instagram page. And (laughs) one of the things I saw was, we'll start, we'll we'll start off light. One of the things I saw that you are really an avid reader. So I've got two questions about reading here, which is one, where did that muscle come from? Because it's not always something that, we'll start here. It's not always something that's, I think a lot of people gravitate to from a growth and development standpoint. That's exactly where it comes from for me though. Uh, it's I'm always about growing and expanding and just trying to learn as much as I can. I'm pretty much always reading a book of some sort, whether it's in the like self-development space, whether it's more just a fun sports-based read or a nonfiction I, like I'm, I'm all over the place with my reading because I just like to expand in all different areas. And I think there's a lot to learn from it. It's funny. I wasn't always that way though. It wasn't until after college that I really got into the reading again. I'd say really in the past like year and a half, two years, I just never made the time 
in college while I was swimming and coursework and stuff. The last thing I wanted to do was pick up a book that I could optionally go through. It was like textbook or nothing. And even the textbooks, I'll be honest, weren't really uh, read. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> We're reading so, every day now, though. No, but so was it, was it modeled for you? Or was there something that really grabbed your attention? Was there something like, like I've, I've interviewed different people. Sometimes it came from, like, I learned it in church. I learned it from a parent. Or there was something that I was really struggling with that made me pick up this book. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I always looked at my mom was in book clubs like 24 seven and she was in like, we're talking like the real deal book clubs, not the like, we just have this sitting on the coffee table as we drink, drink some wine, wine and uh, share our cheese boards and all that. She was like real deal sharing what they were learning each month on these books. So that was part of it. And then I also looked at it as another way to further connect with both my parents, actually. So both of them, are more avid readers. Now I've actually, I want to say, surpassed them in some capacity of how fast I'm reading. And it seems like every time that I catch up with them, it's like, hey, mom, dad, like I was reading this, like I really think you would like it and passing on some sort of recommendation and then vice versa. They pass along stuff to me that they come across all the time. And I think that part is really neat. And just this, it's a deeper sense of connection. My dad's the same way with music as well. And it's kind of come full circle. I remember growing up in like third grade, he would share with me his musical tastes. And I'd be like, okay, like this is not for me. This isn't it. And then I go away to college and you know how, as you grow older, your, your tastes evolve, so to speak. I remember coming back and like, dad, you got to check out this band. They're called Arctic monkeys. They're fantastic. I love them. It's like, Corey, I showed you them in third grade and you said you hated them. It's like, well, now I love them. So <laughs> it's all this stuff just comes full circle. It's another way to connect with, with them. And that's one thing that I'm always trying to, I guess, improve on is just the level of connection. It can never stop, I guess, developing. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but no. you know what I mean. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, it's interesting because when I was going through Instagram, your dad pops up couple strong, really strong posts where connection, mm-hmm. baseball game, sports. Um, in this transition, I'm just curious because a lot of, myself included, there, there are sometimes tumultuous times where we make these pivots, we make these changes, and sometimes we really do have the support and sometimes we don't. Um, what has it been like um, making this transition? And we'll get more into, because there have been a lot of pivots. Mm-hmm. Um, how has parent support or family support played in? It's been huge because they've, they've always supported my dreams, whatever they have been. The mm. dreams have changed throughout the years, but they've always had my back, which is huge. And they have set up an environment and a space where as long as my effort is there, mm. they have full support. So they'll call me out on my BS too. If I'm if I were to say I'm going to go into this entrepreneurial world and I'm just going to spend hours of my day watching TV and doing nothing and just like wishing that you know people are going to buy into my program, no, they're going to call me out on that. Um, and I know they've created a standard that is high enough where I would never do that kind of thing, even if they're not constantly watching me. And I'm very appreciative that they give me the space too that they're not hovering over me, but they keep me grounded too. And 
<laughs> I have to laugh. It caused me a lot of stress when I first made that decision, right? Where the first questions were, okay, well, no 401k. So what are you doing for your retirement? I'm like, dad, I'm 25 years old. Like, let me just worry about right now. Or, you know, it's like the insurance. You don't have health and dental and, and vision anymore. Where's that going to come from? And, it, you know, it, it bugged me at the time, but it was all, it was all good questions. They're all coming from good places to just make sure that, you know, while I, they're giving me the sport to go where I want to go, but they're making sure that I'm doing it in a way that makes sense. It's smart. It's planned out. And I'm not just being stupid with my time, my effort and my energy. What did your mom and dad do? They're both teachers. Wow. Both teachers. So my dad actually recently retired um, two years ago. So he was a seventh grade world history teacher. And my mom is a, still works. She is a transition services teacher. So she helps kids 18 to 22 with that have special needs. She helps them with that transition out of the high school public school system. She's still with the public school system locally in Maryland and teaches them life skills, like how to take the Metro bus, how to get a job, how to budget, how to deal with just life situations. And I think that's the coolest, most rewarding job out there. I think. Yeah. I think, I think normal, like average everyday people need that experience as well. Like what the heck do you do after college? Right. Um, how do you balance a checkbook? How do you do your laundry? Like, <laughs> um, but no, that's incredible. Um, just, Side note, we're going off the trail here a little bit, but I'm asking because my mom, before having me, so my parents had me much later in life. My mom mm-hmm. was 38. My dad was 40 when they had me. Um, I'm an only child. And my mom was an educator as well. So she was a seventh grade history teacher. So she, ta- she taught um, American history. And what was interesting about it was that she had the experience of seeing all these kids after school and not have a place to go. Um, not have parents that were present. And that's that's not a judgment thing. That was just like, mm-hmm. that's what happened. And um, kids got into whatever they got into. So I'm just curious, as a byproduct of two parents that are teachers, were there certain, what I find with children that are of parents that were teachers, was that there are some guidelines or things that like, we want to instill this into our children. Um, was that the case for you? hundred percent. I mean, I was always doing something after school. You know, I laugh, like you get to high school and everyone thinks like, Oh, senior skip day. Like that never crossed my mind. That was never a possibility. Like skip school with two parents as teachers. No way. (laughs) That's just not possible. But you know, it, it was always structured intentional after school activities. And I, I laugh for the longest time. My I told all my friends and it probably drove a lot of them away in, in the moment when they would ask to hang out and I'd be like, I can't have some practice. And that just became like a automated response for so many years of my life. And I was never resentful for it. You know, there's definitely times where I was like, I wish I could hang out with them, but I have this more important thing in mind in this goal to swim at the, you know, division one level, but also have a, a college scholarship to do so. And these are kind of the sacrifices that are going to be made. And my parents really paved the way for that with the structure that they put in place, whether it's the after school stuff or the, the other modeled things, you know, I always had a curfew and it was, it was to 
in my best interest too. They didn't want me out until 3 a.m. when I had a five thirty, you know, a four forty-five practice the next day. Like that'd be stupid. <laughs> Counterintuitive, you know. It's incredible. I mean, it's incredible in the sense that you, um, it's it's hindsight's always twenty twenty. You can always look back and say, oh, that's why Corey's been so successful. But it's incredible to see the foundation that is laid and where you can build off of it when it's done in a constructive way and when it really aids you. Let's um let's shift here for a second here. Um, I'd love to kind of look at we can get into the swimming half as well because I'm I'm curious about it, but I want to touch on you talk a lot about that transitional phase of coming out of swimming like mm-hmm. this. And these are my words, not yours, but this loss almost of identity of who am I post swim. Um, do you mind going there or touching on kind of that experience? Because I think a lot of people, and if you're listening today, like we all have that moment where there's something that we're so tied to. It's who we are. It's how we identify ourselves and what happens when that no longer is there. Yeah, I think that happens with anything. Obviously, it's prevalent in my story in swimming, whether it's sports or anything we do. If to remember, I started swimming at four years old. So from four to 22, I had that structure, that intention, that community around me in my life. I think the longer you do anything, the more likely it is to get tied up into our identity of who we are as a person. Mm. And the more success you have, the same thing. So as you're getting more and more successful, you start to identify with, well, I, I am a national level swimmer that defines me. You know, people ask me what I do. That's, that's what I'm going to tell them in the moment. And so when, especially with a sport like swimming, right, there's really not an opportunity post-grad. Like there is for like the 0.0001% of swimmers. I was not, I was not in there. I could say I was a little close to it, but I was not in that position. So when that stops, it wasn't even my choice for it to stop. It was, I just ran out of NCAA eligibility. I spent my four years in college. And so now I have to figure out, okay, now what? I just saw the, I saw the, I was just starting to see the rewards of 18 plus years of work and service and dedication, right? In swimming, it was paying off those last four years. I got, I improved when I was in college and I'm forever grateful for that. And it's so hard to start seeing those results pay dividends on themselves and back to you and then have it ripped away. Wow. And now you're like, okay, so I have to start over. And what I've realized is no, you don't have to start over. You just have to shift your perspective and change how you're looking at whatever the new task is and see how those same intangibles can impact what you're doing now. That's all it is. And that and that's with everything, right? You can take all parts of your story, the good and the bad. If you look at it with the right perspective, it can serve you in some positive way now. Or it can serve you in a negative way. You have the adoption to to choose that. And you know that with our with our work in Project Limitless together, we do a lot of unpacking our old stories and seeing how they are either serving for us or serving against us. So what was it in that moment? Because that is a, I mean, I can't imagine at 22. I mean, I think you are much better equipped, obviously than I was, but you're much better equipped. So what was it that you were able to shift or how, 
how were you able to take that moment of, I've worked my whole life, I've worked my tail off, I'm finally seeing the fruits of my labor, I have recognition, I'm having accolades, and then it's gone. What do you do in that moment? I started to chase Hmm. because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do at all. Uh, The original plan was, I was an exercise science undergrad major, have minors in coaching science, as well as a strength and conditioning minor. So the fitness stuff makes sense, right? Well, I didn't want to go into college coaching because there's no money in there. And that's what I, that was my vision of success was money. Hmm. That was just a story that I was telling myself that I needed. I wanted to go to physical therapy school originally. That didn't pan out because I was so focused on getting the most out of my swimming identity that I let the student and the, of the student athlete identity down. The GPA wasn't there to go to grad school. I did a quick little pivot my senior year. And I was like, you know, I can't get into PT school, but occupational therapy school, there's a lot of females in that field. And since I'm a male, I can probably get in with my lower GPA. Boy, was I wrong. Still, no, you know, did not get into any OT schools, safe to say. So it got to be like senior year spring. This is the first time I'm experiencing college without swimming. It stopped in early March, senior year, spring. So I had like March, April, May to experience like life as a college student, a normal college student, I guess. And I was like, I don't know what I I want. So I started chasing the money, right? And I went into sales. (laughs) My first job actually was refinancing mortgages for veterans. It sounded super like this noble cause and nothing against the company. But like the more I was there, the more I started to see like more the negative side of the stories that I was making up. And what was really funny, it was like, okay, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't hitting it on the sales mark there. I wasn't knocking it out of the park, hitting the bonuses that like I thought I would be hitting at the pace that I wanted to. You know, the skewed up thing is it's really hard when you come from this, you have all these accolades, like you said, right? And all of a sudden, now you have to go back into that waiting patient game. And I was a fool to think that I, I could fast forward through that, that process in a, in a sense. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to work hard for two months and like, boom, here's your big commission check. That never happened. But during that process, uh, I found out I was really good at just networking and connecting with people. So much so that the company recognized that as well. And they actually moved me over to recruiting. And what was funny in the recruiting stint was I was like this close to quitting my job before they offered to move me to recruiting. So I'm, I'm literally going in this, it was like the new year in January going to work. Like, you know, maybe it's this week that I'm going to take that jump and just say, I don't need this place. We're going to figure out what's next. And then they moved me to recruiting and I was like, I'll, ch- I'll check it out. I'll try it out. I lasted a total of like two and a half months there because I realized I was recruiting for a role that I was this close to quitting. So it made no sense. I couldn't, co- I wasn't coming from a genuine place where I really truly believed in what I was selling more sure. or less. So that was a big takeaway. So all these things I just realized were 
it was all a process, right? It wasn't a quick fix. And that's kind of what I focus on now is just, it's not a quick fix for people, but I hope save you the time and effort and energy that I expended through years and years of figuring this stuff out in a condensed 10 week course. That's the goal of it anyway, you know? It's incredible. Um, you know, I think that's through the work that you and I have done in Limitless as well. It's also the, the recognition that there's never really a bad decision. Like you get into situations and they're probably not your ideal situation. But from what you just told me, it, it sounds like there's a lot of, like I recognized what I was good at. Like I found out that sales maybe wasn't my thing, but the networking side, like I'm really good with connecting with people. It's such a gift in disguise sometimes. Um, so did this career then pivot you into the PT, like going into the back into the fitness space or how did that transition happen? A little bit. So I actually, in college, I had to work at this country club as an assistant uh, swim coach to fulfill a requirement for my coaching science minor. I had to get a practicum and I went to my professor and I was like, Hey, I coach with my dad. Does that count? She goes, uh, no, you're going to have to try to do better than that. So it was actually really funny. My first year coaching there, I actually made negative dollars because <laughs> I was enrolled in this coaching practicum, which through at Delaware, which is a three credit out of state course during summer session. So my pay from the coaching gig was far less than like the $6,000 that I had to pay the university to get credit for my coaching job. It was like mind blowing, but I'm glad I like stuck it out and stayed there. So I stayed there for two years. I left that job when I started the sales because I thought there was no way I could do both. I didn't, I wasn't aware of this possibility that we now know of, of like, and also it was and, or, and coaching wasn't it. So when I realized the sales wasn't a good fit, I pivoted back to coaching hmm. and ironically at the same time, the same country club had an opening at the head coaching position. So all that was, it was a summertime gig. So from Memorial day to labor day, I would have a job and it would pay me decently well for those two months. So I jumped on it. I had no idea what I was going to be doing beyond those like two to three months out of the year. But I said, that feels more aligned with what I want to do than this interesting so i kind of just leaned into that like space of like i don't know what's next but it's going to figure itself out you know what i mean that's amazing that's really cool um did you while you were in this space and i know we're jumping and hopping and we're, we're following the timeline here what were the early indicators for you that there was an itch for more because in some ways, it allowed you to recognize that there was a desire to be in the fitness space, that you're really good at it, and you're great at coaching um, young athletes um, that want to swim. And I'm sure there's, my words, there's joy in that as well. But what were the early indicators that there was the need for more? It's always been there because that was my athletic blueprint hmm. and my wiring in swimming. I was never... It, I would celebrate my my accomplishments and my my best times, sure. But I never he held my I never was like going to hang my hat on them. 
I always wanted to improve. Hmm. I remember one time leaving uh, the conference meet my sophomore year of college. I had just, I had won an event and I got second in my two other individual events, which was by far one of the best performances by anyone in Delaware's men's side of history for the team. So it felt awesome, right? I was upset on the bus ride home and a teammate looked at me and she was like, why? And I go, cause the team got dead last. And she was like, yeah, but you did all this. And I was like, well, I could have gotten, I could have placed better in these two, two events and we wouldn't have gotten last. We would have been second to last. So I'm upset personally for that, but I'm more upset as a team standard so that was kind of always my mentality of how can we get this right? How can we always improve? Hmm. There's always room to get better until we win a championship. And until that happens, I won't be satisfied. And I've carried that over now into these other things that I've, all the endeavors that I've tackled, I've always wanted to take on more constructively. Interesting. It's, it's been picking and choosing what to take on more is what I've, definitely had to work on more recently. Fair enough. All right. So we'll get into the entrepreneurial side. I want to hear about the course and the class that you're creating, but I first want to go to the insane runs at five o'clock in the morning. So can we talk about, can we talk about the 445 wake-ups? 430, 430. 430, my bad. What's funny to the outsiders, right? That might sound absolutely bonkers, absolutely crazy, but Starting in sixth grade, I had at least one morning practice a week where I was up at 4 a.m. in the pool at 4.45. And then for as long as I can remember from then on, it built. My summers in high school and college were miserable. It was Monday through Saturday, 5.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. practice. That's six days a week. And then there's afternoon stuff as well. Double days. So like... Yes, it's early, but at this point, it's so routine and ingrained for me to get up at that hour. Even if I go years and months of not waking up at that hour, I can flip that switch and go back to it. And that's exactly what I did about three weeks ago now. I was realizing I was in a kind of a comfortable groove of things. I was operating at a level that was like, okay, but... I wanted to kick it up a notch and kickstart something. And so I got this idea of let's kickstart my day with a 5 a.m. run. It doesn't have to be a blow it out of the park run. It doesn't have to be a PR every single time. It doesn't have to be some absurd distance. It started off the first week where I just did 5Ks every day. And then... Last week, I fluctuated with the distance. This week, I'm fluctuating the distance. I'm playing around with it and and tweaking what feels right. But what ultimately I'm seeking is what sets up my day the best Hmm. to take that lesson from the run and the movement into the rest of my day. What makes me feel good? I think that's such a really important point that you just pointed out, which is there's a lot of talk today of morning routines, evening routines, what is best, how to do it. And there's a lot of, well, if he says I'm supposed to do it, if I listen to this famous author or this YouTuber that, that I'm going to do it this way. And I think what you've done is really in that, in that insight is being able to tap into what works for you. 
because the insight is, yes, I want to push it. Yes, I want to show it more powerfully. But what I hear from you is that, but this is also specifically what works for Corey Camp. This is the this is the juice that drives because when I am up at this time, when I'm going at this time, I fall into the routine that I'm up and above. Like I'm I'm in that space where I'm in my I'm in my bag. Like I've got I've got this like mentality that I know that when I'm when I'm performing, when I'm in this space early enough that I'm ahead of the pack. Um, and that's really cool, man. Yeah, I've always thrived on that concept and that feeling. I was actually just talking with. Uh, someone who has a military background, but same concept is I've thrived on this idea. I get almost get high off of it, right? Where I'm putting in work while the rest of the world is sleeping. And I, that just drives me. That's specific to me. You could be on the total end of the spectrum, right? You could get that same feeling by working late into the night. You got to find with what works for you. Or if you. Are you familiar with chronotypes at all? No, I'm not. Tell me about it. Awesome. So what they are, all of us are wired a little bit differently. We're all wired a unique way, but oftentimes we fall into these three chronotypes, which are basically our body's natural circadian rhythm Hmm. and how we function best. So I would consider myself a morning lark. I do fantastic with the early mornings and the structure that that provides me. And the way that it sets up my day, right, is I start off at 5 a.m., That's what I found works best. And I go on through a peak through about 10, 11 uh, a.m. And then I have to take a little bit of a break because my productivity and my motivation to just show up dips. And Hmm. that's right around when I eat lunch because I'm pushed up a little earlier. And then it starts to rebound again in the afternoon. We're recording this about 1.45 my time. I'm on that rebound. I'll probably get back into my best work. Sorry, you're not getting my total <laughs> best self here. But I'll probably get back into my best work around 3 or 4 p.m. And then I know I can't schedule anything that requires like my full-on brain capacity past 5 p.m. Because that just doesn't work for me. I've I've... Tried it time and time again. It just doesn't work for me. Are there typically two dips in the valley? Like are there two peaks in a day for all types or is that just you? Yeah. So for me, it peaks to lunchtime, dips, and then peaks again, and then like levels off or dips closer. to. That's when you kind of figure out, okay, what's my bedtime? Yeah. My friends make fun of me. My bedtime lies somewhere between that 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. range. Uh. And then if I try to stay after that, I notice the effects because I'm so in tune with my circadian rhythm. If I stay up later than that, it throws me all out of sorts. So then the second chronotype, right, is this night owl. And they're going to be actually the exact opposite of me. So they spend their morning in that trough period. And they're the ones that they probably sleep in if they have no work. They'd probably sleep in 10 10 a.m. or later if they can. Yep. And then they spend like some of the day, like those few hours, like waking up, getting used to things. And then they hit a little little trough as well in the afternoon. But then they really, really rebound and do their best work into the later evening and nighttime hours. Got it. That works for them. And then there's this hybrid, this third bird that is somewhere in the middle 
I'd say if you're waking up between 7 a.m. and like 9 a.m. on a day where like you have nothing scheduled, that's just your natural wake up time. You're probably a third bird. And you're going to, again, you're going to follow the same layout of my day. It's just going to be shifted a few hours later. Obviously, because space. like you're eating. Yeah, you probably eat your breakfast around 7.38. And then like your lunchtime comes around this like noon. Maybe it's like 1, 1, 1 Yeah, And then you probably dip a little bit. And there's so many other factors why that dip happens. And then you start to rebound again in the afternoon. I'd say you probably, you're probably more likely to be able to work into the later hours of the night than I am. Uh, but still your functioning won't be as optimal as a night owls would be. Sure. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Yeah. Don't, don't expect me to be on uh, Nick's tune-ups at like when he, we were on like East coast time, <laughs> like five o'clock in the morning, whatever that was. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, that was definitely a change of pace for people. I had to laugh, like, because I was in the same time zone. And, you know, my my job, luckily, back when I was still at my full-time job, it it benefited from that because I was already at work by the time those, like, 7 a.m. tune-ups were coming. I was already there. I was already doing my thing. And it was just like, oh, that's so funny that half of the other people on this call are just waking up. And then I started to learn about what we just divulged into and it's like there's no judgment there anymore right i think we live in it's very common like these morning routine books that are like you have to have the 5 a.m workout or the 5 a.m wake up i'm not here to tell you that that's you if it fits based off of the description of the chronotypes awesome give it a go you might set yourself up better for the day if that sounds absolutely miserable for you throw it away (laughs) you don't have to do it (laughs) that's awesome man um i love it i I have new tools to work with then very cool talk to me talk to me about this kind of next phase that you've been in because you made a really big shift you and i met in a course called empower you and we've furthered (laughs) our learning through a course called project limitless um and you went out and pivoted into creating a course, a group course here for former athletes. Tell me about it and tell me about kind of the process into it here. Really that process began with going into those courses. Um, I kind of doubled down on them and started them at about the same time, which was looking back on it, like absolutely crazy while still managing the full-time job, which we'll get into that led me to leaving the full-time job to just pursuing this passion. But it was a lot. And that was really the first time that I realized it was okay to invest in myself because I held on to the stigma for so long being a, a former swimmer that I don't know, it was, it was a foolish idea that I could go through all this and not have to ask anyone for help or any guidance. It was this idea that I needed to, go on through all of this my way. And I needed to prove to everyone that I could be successful in this next venture, whether Mm. it's the sales gig, the recruiting, the coaching, the fitness space, it doesn't matter. I was coming at it from this place where I needed to prove something. And when I started to invest and become okay in investing in coaching, that was when that shift came like, oh my God, 
it's okay to ask people for this stuff. Like they're here to help me too. I've always been someone that I, as a coach, like I always want to help people, but I was never asking for the help myself. Hmm. And that was really what catapulted me to that, this next level, so to speak, and just leveling up. And that really got me passionate about helping other people realize it's okay to do the same. Don't feel bad that you're investing in yourself. I think one of the most important things we can invest in, it's really the safest thing that we can invest in is ourselves. Would you agree? Yeah. It's, it doesn't matter what the economy is going through, what is happening. If you learn the skills, even if it was all taken away, in my opinion, you and I've had this discussion before that it doesn't matter what economy is. You drop you in some unknown place, you will find a way to get it done. If you have the tools, go ahead. Yeah. And that was what unpacking my story really did for me hmm. was it, it made me realize that I had all these tools, but then the coaching gave me an opportunity to use those tools in a way that made sense in a productive way. It was no longer trying to fit a circle into a square or vice versa. It was like, Oh, okay. You know, people like yourself, or like Jess or Nick, they will show me how to actually do this thing. And I don't have to guess anymore. And that saved me so much time and energy. It was crazy. It's like the shortcut no one ever told us about. Exactly. I mean, I'm a firm believer there's no shortcuts to these like successes, but there's definitely ways to be more efficient in your processes to just make that journey a little bit easier. And that's all I really do in my coaching is I give you the tools and I show you the ways to use them to lighten your load, to just make it more efficient, to get you to where you want to go, whether that's a fitness journey, whether it's a life journey. I think they're all related in some capacity, but that's essentially what I do is just try to lighten your load and make your life as easy as possible. It might seem a little bit harder in that moment because it's intensive coaching for those 10 weeks, but I guarantee you when you come out that other side, You'll feel way lighter. You'll have an overall sense of belonging to a community again. You'll have some guidance and some structure and some accountability to just get what you say you're going to get done, done. Who are the people that thrive best in your course or coach? Um, and obviously, um, the title of the course is, don't get me wrong, or correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's once an athlete, always an athlete. Is that right? So that's my, that's my free course. Got it's it. a little, that's a five day um, little taste of what the more than movement program is. Got it. I'm a firm believer, honestly, that all of us are athletes, whether you have this extensive background and you competed at a professional level, collegiate level, if you have a body, you're going to be an athlete. And that's because I define athlete as someone that just moves their body with intent. What more than movement does is teaches you the ways to start adding intention into the other areas of your life hmm. and gets you aware of if you're not happy with a certain area of your life, we're going to bring some intention there and we're going to change it because how many times do you go through your life where if you didn't have the awareness, you have no idea that this section of your life needs work. But then you start to bring that awareness and you start to actually work on it and bring those tools in. And you have this aha moment of like, holy shit, like 
this is, this makes sense. Like, I didn't even know I needed to work on this, but now that I do, like you access that feeling of limitless, like we do in PL. And I, I know that speaks to you because I've been in the room when you've had those moments being coached and you're like, whoa, I didn't even know I had this story back then, but that makes total sense now. Yeah. It's, I think it's so hard to call BS on yourself. We we're the most important people in our movies. We are the, we are the stars of our show. And of course I can't be wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's not working, but of course I can't be wrong, but it's great about having a coach is being able to recognize that in some area of your life that you're out of alignment. And I think it's beautiful that you're giving people a space where they can kind of reconnect to say what's working and what's not, and then giving them the framework to be able to change it if it's not serving them. And it's incredible, man. Um, it's incredible been to watch, I think, your development as a leader, as just an incredible human being that's going out of their way to go serve people. So if people do want to get into that space, if they want to find a way to be a part of the course, apply for your course. And by the way, I, I highly recommend working with Corey. He's an incredible individual. He's a phenomenal coach. And what's, I think the best testament to any coach is they've gone through the work themselves. And Corey is a, I mean, it is an incredible um, stand for someone that has done the work, the, the hard work, the ugly work, the work that's not fun. Um, but if they want to get into your world here and find out more about more than movement um, or the free course, how do they find you? Jason, first and foremost, I appreciate all of that. I'm receiving that. Um, and it means a ton coming from you. You're, you're a big inspiration and someone that I look up to. So thank you. If people want to learn more, they can go to my website. It's just www.coreycamp.com. You can follow me mainly on Instagram at Corey Camp. Um, and yeah, all my stuff is there, whether it's the free course, you want to just chat and see if your story relates to me and how I might be able to help serve you. Feel free to reach out. I'm always just down to make some new connections and learn more about other people and see if it is a good fit, if it makes sense. I know what I do isn't for everyone and I'm not trying to push it on anyone. I just want to organically bring you to a point where, Hey, maybe I can help you out. And if that makes sense, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you again, Jason, for the time. It's a, it's an honor to be on here and Dude, spend my afternoon with you. Get out of here, man. It's, it's, it's awesome that we get to spend more time because it's so rare that we get to spend time together. One-on-one <laughs> um, -on -one space. Yes. It's, it's it's I guess a, that is, that is true. That is really true. Before I let you go, and we're going to let wrap up here in just a second here. Um, I want to ask about, and I want to ask about confidence because if anyone has made a 180 in their confidence over the past three months, I mean, seriously, while everyone was stopping and freezing during the middle of the pandemic, Corey Camp showed up like shirtless, jumping, doing workouts, <laughs> rocking the podcast, flexing. Um, for It's something that I've struggled with. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience struggle with confidence. Talk to me about where this shift came from. First off, thank you. It's, that's just, just fun for me, right? Um, I think the best advice I ever got came from uh, actually a friend of ours, Lauren uh, Saloon, and her guest coaching program, or her coaching program, she had a guest speaker. 
um, by the name of Taylor Simpson. She came in there and she shared this word of advice that no one cares as much about you as you think they do. So when I started to really pick that apart, it was like, wait a second. I can show up wherever and just be me. And it's organic and it's fun. And it doesn't really matter what other people think. That's so freeing. And when you have, and when you're able to free yourself of that, like, I wonder what other people are going to think of me when I show up, then you're able to just show up tenfold who you are, let your personality shine through, just be yourself. I mean, that's really all confidence is, is you're not acting. You're just being you. But the more you and you, we let all these other things come into our lives that try to prevent us and tell us, no, you can't be you. You must be this. You must be that. And that's when we start to show up without confidence. So if you can let go with all that other stuff and just show up as you, truly you, 100% organic, you're going to be in a good space. And then other people will start to be attracted to it. And that's the coolest part. Isn't it funny that we're all trying to fit in, but when you let go of fitting in, just you being you makes you shine. It makes you stand out, makes you one of a kind. And um, Corey, you're in a beautiful example of the power of leaning into who you are and being authentic and being genuine. It's a honor to get to watch you do your thing. And I really appreciate you spending the time here today to drop some knowledge and share your story, my friend. Jason, again, thank you. I can't thank you enough. Um, honestly, I wish I had the radio voice that you did, but we make up for it in other ways, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm sure I will see you in a few hours somewhere on some other call uh, later today. In like four um, I'll hours, get the, the best version hours. of Corey at some point in time today. <laughs> It might be 5 a.m. I'll send you a video. <laughs> Don't worry. My phone will be on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> Good. You learned. Some of my friends haven't learned that yet. <laughs> I'm not new, man. Um, but, dude, it's such a pleasure to spend some time. I can't wait for the audience to hear all this good stuff. And, uh, yeah, man, please go check out Corey. Go dive into his world. Get into his content. Um, he's an incredible teacher. And if you have the opportunity to go coach with him, go do it. And um, we'll both take we'll, – I know this is audio. This is bad podcasting, but we're going to take photos right now of each other um, and post it to Instagram because that's what we do. There we go, baby. We got to let the people know what we're doing. <laughs> One, two, three. Nice. Perfect. Love it, my I'm friend. sure my audience can't wait for more Zoom pictures. <laughs> Look at me and my friends on Zoom. Anyways. I have, right. I have friends all over the world now. Just so you know. Here they are on my screen. <laughs> Oh, man, 2020. All right, dude. I will catch you on the other side, and I appreciate the time. Peace, my friend. Awesome. Thanks again. I hope you guys grabbed some great value out of today's conversation. If you want to further the conversation, I'd love to meet you personally. We've got a free Facebook community that you can dive into, free content, more resources, and I do lives every single week where I get a chance to interact with you and help coach you on exactly what you need. If you want to find it, you can find us at The Business of Feeling Good, or you can search the hashtag BOFG. Again, that's hashtag BOFG. 
If you like this episode, please share it. I'd love to hear from you. Your comments, your reviews truly mean so much to me. It's the lifeblood of what keeps me going, and it's how I craft the content that's better going to impact you. I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Until then, cheers. Cheers.